Hey everyone, Chris here. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to jump in with a heartfelt thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the show. Emily and I are really excited about how Syzygy is growing, and we'd love to reach more people around the world to share the love of all things astronomical. And that's where you can help. Share us around, tell your friends, give us a recommendation on social media, and and this really does help. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. I know everyone asks for that, but it actually really does help. And lastly, if you'd like to support us financially, jump over to patreon.com slash syzygypod where you can sign up as a patron of the show. I'd love to be able to spend more time producing, researching and editing the heck out of Syzygy. And with your support, we can do that. Anyway, thanks for listening. All right, cue the intro theme. Syzygy episode 61, biggest bang ever. Yes, indeed, and welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris Stewart. Sitting opposite me at her table in her office, as ever, Emily Brunston. Hey, Emily. Hello, hello. So today, right, recently we've done, we did the sun two episodes ago, and then we did the moon last episode. And by the way, how's that going? Have we had any big new fancy moons recently? Uh, we've got one coming up, 9th of March. What And what's that one again? That's a super moon. It's, yeah, uh, are we, what are we up to? Is it pink? Is it pink flower? moon, a super flower, well, pink, yeah, chased hedgehog Hunger, egg. moon. Yeah. yeah. So that's all happening. So we've done the sun, we've done the moon. We're going to leave the local area today and we're going to go out into the universe at large because something very big has happened. Like, really big, bigger than anything else, the biggest bang since the big one. Emily, talk to me. What's been going on? So this is a very exciting paper, which came out from uh, Jiaqin Tucci et al. Mm -hmm. Well done, by the way, in our endless search for pronunciation. You keep getting the crackers, don't you? I I do. We won't put in the outtakes how many attempts that took me to. (laughs) I'll just put that at the end of the show. (laughs) Yeah, um, uh, you did quite well on that one, though. Apologies to anyone out there, if you are listening, that you are involved in anything that we do report on on this show, if we get your name wrong, we're trying really hard. And yeah. Emily does the hardest work on that. So, Tucci, yes, yep. has done what? Uh, so, we've published in a new paper in the Astrophysical Journal, which is really exciting. It's all about an explosion that happened that is so far the biggest explosion that's ever happened since the Big Bang. Right. Now, when we talk about explosions, I mean, first of all, who doesn't like a, a good explosion, right? There's so many good things in astronomy which go bang in impressive ways. But when you talk about big explosions in astronomy, that puts everyone else to shame. No one can come even close to the kinds of things that we're talking about. And Emily, you're saying that this is the biggest one since the big one itself, the Big Bang. So shall we just start with that? How big is this? Well, this is an interesting thing. So I've got two things actually to kind of disappoint you on, first of all. The first thing (laughs) is... Why not? Let's do that. (laughs) That this is not so much an explosion, I guess, in the typical kind of big fiery ball, lots of energy being released at singular point in time okay so it's not that sort of standard mental image of boom fireball no No. in fact there's probably much more of a slow burn that happened over tens maybe hundreds of millions of years right so it's kind of challenging our definition of explosion but i guess if we're limiting ourselves to an enormous quantity of energy coming out from something 
then, okay, let's call that an explosion. Sure. So that's first, like, mental image has now been dashed. Fine. I can live with that. What else am I going to be disappointed well, about? Well, it hasn't just happened. Oh, I see. It was some time ago. It happened somewhere between uh, probably less than 400 million years ago, but maybe at least 240 billion years, million years ago. Okay. So this isn't something where I can just look up in the night sky and say, Emily, where am I looking? And you go, yeah, see over there, there's Orion's belt. Go over a couple and then see that really, really, really bright thing in the sky that looks like it's going to kill us? That thing. It's not that. It's more of a, hmm, this is interesting, say astronomers. That it's it's that yeah. kind of, kind and of so, thing. So, yeah, it's not something that's just happened. It's something that we've just kind of been able to explore the detail of and right. figure out what on earth this thing right. actually was. Hmm. Here's some interesting data. Let's wind that one backwards. Oh, that must have been quite an episode. Okay, so now that I've extracted from my brain and thrown away this mental image of humongous boom and fireball filling the heavens. It's not that. So what are we talking about? So, well, but we are still talking about things that are really, really cool. Okay. I mean, one of our favourite things to talk about here, uh, SMBH. SMBH, supermassive black hole. Yes. Yes. And we, a... we talked about these a few episodes back, didn't we? Yeah, I think it was episode 54. Yeah. We talked about supermassive black holes that are also called active galactic nuclei. Right. And, okay, so winding back a little bit, a supermassive black hole, cut off the SM at the beginning, you've got a black hole. Black hole is where you've got huge amounts of mass, so great that it collapses down beyond anything that could possibly keep it, keep it up in the form of a star, neutron star, anything like that. There's just so much concentrated in a small area that it just collapses down to, as far as we know, to the limits of our ability to understand with modern physics, a singularity. It's black hole, nothing can get out of it, light can't escape from it, black hole. Supermassive black hole is a black hole that's super massive, really, really big. And you tend to find these at the heart of galaxies, most galaxies? Yeah, so we're talking about millions or billions of times the mass of the sun right. with these things. So huge amounts of stuff that presumably over time have just, has just built up and built up and built up stuff falling into the black hole, get a bigger, 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 super massive black hole. Yeah. yeah. And they're called active galactic nuclei, remind us, because they're quite energetic. Yeah. yeah. So an active galactic nucleus is a black hole that's feeding, which means that there's material that's falling into the black hole. And at the same time, there's a whole lot of energy being released in that process. Yeah. So that, that notion of nothing can ever escape from a black hole. True, once it's got inside, it's not coming out again. But you can have these incredibly energetic processes going around outside the black hole as matter gets torn apart in the incredibly strong gravitational fields around black holes. And so some of that stuff goes in and increases the mass of the black hole, the energy of the black hole, and some of it escapes as really, really high energy stuff flinging out into the cosmos, which has a big impact on, well, everything, yeah. really, the entire galaxy around it. So... That's supermassive black holes. That's what we're talking about today? Yes. Well, okay. at least that's the suspicion. Right. Because it turns out that this particular, uh, let's say, bum bubble of energy that we found, or at least a, it's an um, absence of stuff, it's a cave that's been carved out in a piece of gas. Mm. And when you sum up how much energy it must have taken to carve out that hole, then your thoughts instantly turn to... Well, there's Who's gotta responsible be, for there's this? There's got to be something like this. But the interesting thing is there's no active galactic nucleus in the region. Interesting. All right. I sort of feel like we need to back up a little bit here. So talk us through this this paper by the wonderfully named Jun, 
Chattucci. Um, what's actually been found? We found a void. Yeah. So What's going on? So you, basically this cavity, which has been carved out. So we have a, a galaxy cluster, which is a group of galaxies. Okay, so this is not this is not in the Milky Way. This is elsewhere. This is very, an entire very far long away. way away, whole cluster of galaxies. 390 yeah. million light years away. And I struggle with distant scales on this podcast often, but even to me, that sounds like a very long way. It's a very long way. And so what we've been able to see is this cavity that uh, is huge in size really compared and what the cavity is in because you know if you've got to have a hole it's got to be in something yeah is in the kind of cool sort of material that's at the center of galaxy clusters uh it's called kind of the cold medium or cool medium and it's like just the get a bit of gas and um that's just sort of floating out there between is the it, galaxies. Is it sort of the, the cluster level equivalent of the interstellar medium exactly. in our galaxy, right? Yeah. It's, it's the stuff that fills in the gaps. It's not empty. There is stuff there. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's densest, closest to the kind of gravitational central point of a galaxy cluster. Okay. Uh, so they've got this big clump of gas um, and there's a cavity in it which is 15 times wider than the whole Milky Way galaxy. Hang on. I'm just going to pass that sentence. So take the Milky Way galaxy, right? 15 of those in a row, that's the linear spread of this bubble of of this cavity, this this void. Yeah. That's huge. It is really Holy cow. It's really really so huge. So something, what you're saying is something's cleared that, right? If you yeah. if you're in a in a in a crowded room and you shout loudly, people are going to move away from you rapidly. You just cleared that room. But this has cleared a void 15 times the, the size of our galaxy across. That's quite an extraordinary feat. It's huge. Yeah. And there were some hints of this. So the first hints of it came from um, a couple of X-ray observations. So the first one being Chandra X-ray Telescope, which is uh, one of NASA's kind of premier um, X-ray missions. And that was uh, noticed this kind of slight little curvature in the X-ray bubble, uh, which meant that there was a sort of a gap. And people sort of at the time thought, well, this could be one of these voids. We've seen them before uh, in other galaxy clusters. But the energy sort of got a little bit high when you did the maths. So <laughs> they sort of thought, well, maybe. So having a look at these X-ray images coming back from Chandring, oh, let's just work that. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. really quite large. So maybe there was another explanation was kind of the conclusion. Sure. Um, we also had some X-ray observations from Eximum Newton, which is kind of ESA's version of Chandra. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what the um, you know the scientists we're talking about did with uh, today is they took that a bit further. They got some radio observations. Now we've talked about before how you kind of have this pairing on energy scales between the very very high energy photons, which are the X-ray photons, and the very very low energy photons, which are your radio photons. Yeah, I mean astronomy is across as many wavelengths as humanly possible, right? You you can look in the optical, the stuff that we see with our eyes, but you can go either end of that as far as you you hopefully can, and down one end, the low energy, long wavelength. Low frequency end is radio waves, radio astronomy, the big dishes. Far other end is really high energy, really short wavelength, really high frequency, X-rays. And all of these different kinds of astronomy, all these different wavelengths give you different information about what's happening out there. Often the same object looks very different through different kinds of wavelengths. 
yeah. radio and x-ray can look very different and give you complementary information. And you have this really nice pairing with very high energetic objects between, okay, so high energy photons, you expect they come from high energy things. That's Makes sense. natural, yeah. right? That's true. Uh, but also in the radio, uh, the emission that we get from in radio frequencies is often linked to really high energy processes. And why, why is that? Because, so I mean, radio is low energy. We just said that. So why would you get lots of that with a high energy thing? Yeah. So for this case, what we're talking about is a piece of emission called synchrotron emission, which is in itself not very energetic, but it comes from charged particles doing energetic things in magnetic fields. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, you can get a lot of the low energy stuff, a lot of it coming off when high energy things do high energy things in magnetic fields. It'll give off the lower energy stuff in large amounts. And so the radio can tell you about that. Yeah. Cool. So what these um, scientists did was they took them some beautiful radio observations from uh, a couple of radio telescopes. We'll talk about a bit more about the telescopes in a bit. Um, and they mapped it onto the same maps that we had the x-rays. And the quote, which comes from the, re the researchers, is it, it fit like a hand in a glove. Oh. So what you have is the radio observations, which are tracing these high-energy synchrotron emissions, are just neatly matching up with this sort of curved edge of the void. So something's going on there. I mean, seeing it in one or the other would sort of lead you to think, well, okay, there's something interesting going on here. But seeing both says, presumably, okay, something very high energy indeed has happened here. Yeah. And so the explanation for this is that we had this active galactic nucleus, which produced a jet. And there is a there is a host galaxy that's sort of the suspected culprit for this that's got a supermassive black hole in its centre. Uh, and this jet came out from the supermassive black hole, hit the hot intergalactic gas, uh, and basically created these radio emissions, and, as well as carving out this void into the region of um, the cooler gas. So it's a little bit like I've got a mental image of a fire hose. You know, the, the supermassive galactic, supermassive black hole is is sending out this this fire hose of high energy stuff, which is just plowing into the the intergalactic medium. And doing all sorts of stuff, but it's clearing it out as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So if we put some numbers to this, because this is where the research became you know, really exciting, was, okay, now I have to confess, I got a little bit nerdy about some of these numbers. <laughs> this doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Go for it. Be nerdy. Okay. So we've got two sides of this. First mm -hmm. of all, there's um, we'll, we'll work mostly in joules because I'm a joules kind of person. Okay. And I get that radio astronomers and uh, someone might not be. Because most of the work is published in ergs. Oh, well, that, I mean, people people out there in listener land may not know what an erg is, but they've at least heard of joules, kilojoules, yeah. a unit of energy, even if it's just in the food that you eat. It's it's a familiar thing. Yeah. So uh, the, the published result, which is um, uh, something like the, the pressure times volumes, this is the work that you must have been done to clear this cavity. Okay, so we can think of it as the amount of energy that has been expended in clearing out this void. Yep. Yep. It's calculated to be 5 times 10 to the 61 ergs. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. That's a big number of ergs. What about how many joules? So, uh, well, the same 5 times 10 to the 54 joules. 5 times 10 to the 54 joules. So that's 5 with 54 zeros after. That's a really big number. It's a very, very big number. <laughs> really, that's billions upon billions upon billions, but that's lots. So here's where I got excited and thought, well, I can do some comparisons. Sure. Let's try and figure out, you know. Because I'm immediately thinking, like, how many Mars bars is that? 
a lot. <laughs> I didn't go. To, I didn't go that far. I went to the high energy things okay, and tried to figure right. out like how many See, high energy. That's things. why you're the research scientist, and I'm just the guy who runs the podcast, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there's a bit of rounding here, but you know, just on on orders of magnitude. Sure. Let's talk about so what you know. One thing, a lot of energy might be something like the sun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah sun yeah. puts out lots of energy. It does. So if you sum up all the energy that the sun's going to put out over its entire lifetime. Right. So not just a day or a year, but the entire, I mean, how long is that? Like There's 10 billion years. 10 billion years. How much energy does the sun put out in all directions? And uh, yeah, go 10 on. to the 44 joules. 10 to the 44 joules. And that's still, still 10 billion short. One tenth of a billion. Yeah. 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 Of yeah. what this. Yeah, like a factor of 10 billion short. Wow. Okay. So the sun's not really going to help us. No. Because I don't really still have a good concept of a billion, right? 10 billion suns for billions of years. No, it's meaningless. Too many numbers. It's just numbers. Okay. So we can go to the other, the largest kind of stellar explosions that we have in the universe. Yeah. These are called hypernovae. (laughs) So we've gone beyond super, we're into hyper. Yeah, I mean, we're just going to go straight to hypernovae. Do we, do we get ubernovae? No, 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 hypernovae is where it stops. Okay, right. (laughs) If anyone ever offers you an ubernovae, don't go there, just stop at the hyper. And these are still only 10 to the 46 joules. Okay, right. So that's, what, a hundred times more than the entire energy output of the sun, and we're Still hundreds of millions short. Yeah, one hundredth of a million. Yeah, goodness. Okay. So, okay. So, we're kind of getting a bit of a concept of this is big. I've got one more, Mm -hmm. if that helps. Um, So, we've talked about uh, LIGO, the gravitational wave detector, and how when things like two black holes merge together, enormous amounts of energy. Yeah, now that was the whole thing about LIGO, was, was we're detecting the ludicrously small wobbles in space-time that have travelled across the cosmos from ridiculously energetic events far, far, far away that moved space-time enough, wobbled it enough, that we could detect these incredibly small things here on Earth. I mean, that was that was the whole point, was you needed the biggest bloody things in the in the universe in order to be able to detect them. Are you about to tell me that this is even bigger? It's bigger than a hypernova, right. which is good news because we're getting closer to mm-hmm. our um, to our AGN. Uh, so the largest black hole merger that mm-hmm. LIGO has ever observed uh, put out something like ten to the forty seven joules. And sorry, the one that you're talking about that cleared this void was ten to the fifty four. Yeah, so I'm afraid it's still only one tenth of a million. <laughs> so this is big. Yeah. This is a really, really big thing. Even on astronomical it was. scales, this is big. And I, at this point, I have to confess, I kind of gave up because the only things that are bigger oh, what's that, the point? that come yeah. close are things like if you took the entire mass energy of the galaxy. Yeah. And I don't think that that's like, no, we're, we're, a very useful concept at this if point. If you can't take the biggest things that we've ever measured banging together and causing you know, gravitational waves to be detected on Earth. If you can't take that and turn that into... So it's, you know, three of those. It's still 10 million of those. If that doesn't make any sense, I think we've got nothing to compare it against. Okay, so what we're left with is, wow, that was big. So we kind of then need to return to, what the hell was that? So you were describing before supermassive black hole, sending out huge jet, clearing out fire hose style, this, this big void. But that's an extraordinary amount of energy. Is there any sense of like 
how, why, what happened? Well, we do have some other examples of this. And this is uh, where I also got a bit nerdy about the numbers because I was, you know, back checking through different astronomical papers and getting a little bit too into it, shall we say. (laughs) Um, So we do have another contender. So the the, the, um, event which this beats, if you like, which it beats by something like five times in energy. So previous record holder. Is um, something that's fairly similar. It doesn't have such a good name. So the one we're talking about is actually happening in the Ophiuchus galaxy cluster, which is in the constellation of Ophiuchus. It's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, The other one that it just broke the record of and maybe maybe this is a good thing, was called the MS0735.6 plus 7421 galaxy cluster. Yeah, it doesn't exactly trip off the tongue, does it? No, it's a bit um, it's a bit closer. It's 2.6 uh, billion light years away. Sorry, a bit further, billion light years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other one's only a few million. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it is one of the largest supermassive black holes that we've ever found mm-hmm. in this particular uh, MS galaxy cluster so when we're talking about a black hole in this cluster that's at least 10 billion times the mass of the sun wow so big yeah very big big means you've got a lot of energy to throw around right so uh this particular event has um got a double cavity which is really nice it helps you identify so because you've got jets that come up not just above the black hole perpendicular um, if you go pointing up, if you like, sure. whatever way imagine, up is. Imagining a black hole spinning around, jet coming out above and down below. Yeah, yep. you also have one pointing down. So sure. there's a double cavity in this sure. uh, particular. And similarly, they've seen the radio emissions um, and you know the two sort of holes that have been carved out in the X-ray emissions as well. So that's a really interesting object. And uh, so that one here is only one-fifth mm. of the energy. And that's a very, very large black hole. I think what's interesting about this current one that's just been found is that you, you've got to now multiply your energy levels by a factor of five. So if you want to sort of calculate how much mass has fallen into your black hole to produce this amount of energy, then you're going to have to have something like, well, five times 600 billion suns. Okay. <clears throat> I'm just going to pull this apart for a second. So you're saying that in order to produce the amount of energy that we can calculate has has cleared out this void right this this big one that is now the world record holder you would need because that energy is coming from mass which is falling down into the supermassive black hole which is already supermassive like it's just huge beyond beyond billions billions of suns billions of suns and just to put that in some kind of perspective how many solar masses do we think there is in the entire milky way galaxy like it's it's Oh, a lot. But hundreds of billions, right? Okay. So we're talking, you know, a a significant fraction of of our entire galaxy's worth of stuff already in supermassive black hole. Fine. But you're saying you would need five times... Five times 600 gives you, what, 30,000 million? So three, yeah, nearly 0.3 of a billion has fallen into the supermassive black hole of which there's then created a whole pile of energy to go out and clear this void. That's an incredibly large amount of energy, large amount of mass that we've just swallowed up into that supermassive black hole. That's crazy talk. Yeah. Oh, and yeah everyone's thinking that this is maybe not exactly quite right. <laughs> okay. Because, yeah. Is, it, is that because we're, no, we're starting to get up into numbers which are just, now hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. How would you engineer such a thing? Now, let's take a step back and sort of be appreciative of the fact that the physics near a very, very large supermassive black hole 
are weird. Yes. We don't understand everything that goes on with these accretion disks and how the energy production is actually going on in these jets. So, you know, there's an amount of uncertainty there. Um, I've seen a, a reference and I didn't go and read it in detail because it looked very, very scary and very complicated. But there might be some things to do with rotation that become important at these very, very high mass energy releases. Right. However, putting all that aside, it, it's not kind of an event where a single star got consumed no. by this black hole. No. Right? You're talking about a lot of mass. So yeah. one hypothesis which was put forward was that, well, maybe this is not just a star. Maybe this is kind of a big dump of gas that came in. And the origin of that big dump of gas may have actually been another galaxy. So what, like a, like a galactic collision? That kind of thing? Yeah. So gal galactic cannibalism, shall mm -hmm. we say, happens all the time. Yeah, that's an actual term, isn't it? It that's, is, yeah. 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 So galaxies merge all the time. They're, they're relatively close in space. And in clusters, that's even true. You know, there's lots and lots of galaxies in a relatively uh, small proximity. Mm -hmm. And so the galaxy mergers happen often. And either you get flybys and you get you know, gas being stripped out of one galaxy and point well, popped it's, it's going to happen in however many billion years' time, isn't it, with us and Andromeda? Isn't yeah. That, aren't we going to sort of have a big super galactic collision, which we probably won't even notice because there's a lot of space there. <laughs> there's well, a lot of distance between the stars. We're going to become Milkdromeda. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did talk about that. But what you're saying is even though it's quite possible for the sun and our solar system to complete, be completely oblivious other than a really interesting night sky transformation over very long periods of time. If a bunch of gas in a galaxy that you're colliding with gets quite close to the stupidly large supermassive black hole in the centre, it could gobble it up and have quite dramatic consequences to the surrounding area. Exactly, yeah. And we, and we know, well, we have very good evidence that these kinds of galaxies that we do find close to the centre of clusters are already products of mergers maybe of several galaxies already because they're huge in size they're they're called enormous cd galaxies uh, they're just you know enormous blobby things they're not like your beautiful spirals like the uh, milky way or andromeda they've kind of lost all that structure right. and because of the collisions because yeah. things just get really messed up so if you had another merger to that you dump a whole lot of gas that may have been sort of uh, put into the black hole okay you can probably generate enough energy for this event. Wow. And as you say, it's, it's you know, we, we talk about this as, as an event and I've still got this mental image of boom, you know, a huge explosion. But this is stretched out over a significant period of time. This is gas matter falling into the supermassive black hole and being released in a, I guess, by cosmic standards, a relatively short period of time. But by our standards, very long periods of time. Yeah. So probably a few hundred million years. Yeah. Yeah, which is a very long period of time. So an event, it's an interesting notion that an event in astronomy can be over a very long period of time. Yeah. And it's still and that an event. Event has switched off now because we don't see the evidence for the active galaxy in the current data. So that's quite interesting right. in itself as well. It shows some dynamicism of the um, central galaxy. Yeah. So, but did you say that there is a candidate that people of that astronomers yeah. have spotted that one? It was probably that one. Yeah, and that's because that one is really big. Is it's that one? really big. It's close to the center of the the cluster. It's close to the center of the kind of cool gas cloud that we've been talking about, mm. the X-ray gas clouds. Um, it's a little bit offset, which 
models may well um, help us to understand if that's the the fact that it's offset and the term that's used a lot in the paper is called sloshing so yeah. instead of sort of having your galaxy at the center and then a lot of sort of cool gas surrounding that in the intergalactic medium it's a bit you know but shunted across and maybe even the agn explosion if you like could cause that or maybe the reason why we don't see the other jet is because of that offset so there's a quite a few maybes about this individual system right i mean it's it's got to be a very difficult thing to study when there aren't a lot of examples of this. So you said that there are others. You know, we've seen this sort of thing before. Maybe not quite as big, but you've seen it before. But it's not like there are loads of these things that you can gather huge amounts of data on and go, well, we know exactly what's been going on here. No, you don't get things of this scale terribly often. And so there's probably a lot of guesswork going on as to what's actually happened here. Yeah, so th there's a distinction between the measurements which you can make that are super accurate yeah. and kind of the things that you might say, well, here's an explanation yeah. which is sensible enough to produce the observations yeah. that we what see. What do we infer from this? What can we understand from it? And could be this. <laughs> this could have happened. That would explain that. I mean, that's, you know, that's and how science works. It's can your hypothesis explain all the things that you see? If it, if it can, great. Well done. Doesn't mean you're right, but it means it's a pretty good explanation. Yeah. And those observations continue, and they're going to continue on similar systems. Because like I said, we had the Chandra and XMM-Newton observations, which were the X-rays. And then uh, this group followed it up with two really interesting um, sets of instruments. So, we, I mean, we can chat a little bit about them because they're yeah, quite yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one is um, the Murchison Wide Field Array, which mm. you might have heard of. Down in Australia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's in Western Australia. Um, it's really interesting. It's, it's a radio telescope, but not like what even – Astronomers tend to. It's an form interesting in one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, a it's a low frequency radio telescope, and so for that you don't need a dish even at this point. Yeah, because your classic radio telescopes are dish shaped, and you get even the really really big ones which are embedded into the sides of mountains. They're so big, hundred meters across or more. But big dishes. But this is different. This is not dish shaped. No. So these ones are kind of. They're kind of a bit odd, really, to look at. So what they are, you've got a four-by-four-metre kind of grid, a little mesh that you put down, and you put something like 16 little um, antennas on it. And each of the antennas kind of looks like uh, this is going to be like a little starfighter. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like a little kind of – you've got a central blob in the middle and then they've got little arms that stick out. Yeah, like a, like a Star Wars X-Wing or something like that. Yeah. I always think when I, when I see pictures of them that they kind of look like little spidery things, like robot spiders, but maybe that's just me having lived in Australia yeah. for a long time. <laughs> so anyway, they don't, they, look like. they don't look like radio telescopes. No. Yeah. Uh, but that's what you need to do when you do move to low frequencies. Well, you, I mean, there's no point building a big dish, really, for these things. You just need the little antennas. Right, because low frequency – means really big wavelength and so i mean am i right in thinking that that wavelength and size of dish are kind of important that if you want, want to get down to really low frequency really big wavelength you'd need a really really big dish in order to collect collect things of that yeah. wavelength but it's much easier to say well no we'll just put effectively a bit of the dish over there and a bit of the dish over there and just spread them right out because it's not the dish that's important it's having things that can pick up things over that scale 
Yeah, that, that exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're just sort of transitioning for through different sort of technologies for different bits yeah. of the um, yeah. spectrum. Uh, so the whole um, for the Murchison Wide Field Array, the whole thing comes up to something like 500 meters squared. Mm-hmm. Which is big. And uh, what's quite interesting is that this one is a precursor for SKA. That's right. Now, the SKA, the Square Kilometre Array, which it's in the name, really, isn't it? It's an array of telescopes. Some of them are dishes. Some of them are not. Some of them are little spidery things. But the entire thing spread over parts of Australia, South Africa or Africa. Mm-hmm. Bit in New Zealand as well, if I'm not well, mistaken. Fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but over a very, very large area, but spread right out, and some of it in really interesting sort of spirally patterns and stuff as well. The total of which would be equivalent to one big square kilometer of dish. Is yeah. that the idea? That's exactly yeah, yeah. the idea, and that's being yeah. built now. Yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be exciting. So and this is a precursor yeah. to that. It was sort of a let's do this as a dummy run and see if we can make this work. Yeah. So yeah. it was part of Australia's bid to yeah. host it as well. So it's an important array. Uh, the other telescope that was used is also one of my favourite new ones that I've found out in the last uh, couple of years. Is about the it's the giant metre wave radio telescope. Okay. Don't sure that I've heard of that one. Tell me about. We that. have mentioned it before. Have it's we? in India. It's near. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. in India. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great telescope. That's thirty. Now, this is back to dishes. So it's mm. 30 individual dishes, each of which is 45 metres. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's quite big. And 30 of them. I mean, yeah. one of those individually is not small, but 30 of those together working in concert. Yeah. That's quite big. It's a fantastic instrument. And what's interesting, what links it all together as well, is that uh, the giant metre wave radio telescope is also a pathfinder for SKA. Now, what does that mean? As well, in, it's like, similarly, it's a precursor. It's sort of... Well, it turns out there's two definitions. So precursor means that you're a sort of telescope that's sighted in the same place where SKA will be. Right. So you will form part of that or at least part of the infrastructure for the SKA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Pathfinder means that you're um, like a technological step okay. in, as part of the development. We're testing some stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's really cool. Yeah. They're both linked together. So um, I did have a quick check on the updates for SKA because mm-hmm. SKA has been on the cards, I mean, since I was an undergraduate yeah. at least. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it comes and goes. It's, and it's, I remember a big flurry of announcements. I mean, how long ago, when was it sort of announced where these things were going to be? Because it was a little bit like the Olympics. It yeah. was sort of where we're putting in a bid and you're putting in a bid and someone going to win to get the sighting of the SKA and the the announcement was basically well actually you're going to have some and you're going to have some and New Zealand's going we'd like some over here as well please and it was kind of spread out a bit um but that was when like sort of 10 years ago oh it must maybe not that long it's some, somewhere long. between five and ten I would yeah, say yeah, yeah. yeah and then it's kind of gone a little bit quiet in the press because well now they're just getting on with it right there's a lot of construction and work going on uh, mm. Well, okay, let's let's remind ourselves that SKA is probably the most ambitious telescope ever. Yeah, and it's not just the building of the spidery bits and the dishes. There's a, a back-end infrastructure of computation and information yeah. storage and transfer, which is off the charts. The, the, the amazing thing I love about the SKA is that this is a telescope that relies on Mouse's Law, which basically says that your computing power is increasing at an exponential rate as time goes on um it relies on that to be able to exist yeah Yeah. so it says okay our telescope's going to be up and running i mean current forecasts are late 2020s early 2030s 
when that's when it comes up I'm like we get, we have to project that computing power has increased by enough so that we can actually run this telescope. That's right. I remember reading about it and they and they're just sort of saying, look, we don't have the capability to do what we need to do now. You know, we're we're building with future in mind. So computer scientists, if you wouldn't mind just continuing to do what you do or even a little bit faster, actually, would be awesome because here's our demands. And the demands are something along the lines of the entire traffic of the internet in, I think it was like 2015 that I was reading about this, the entire 2015 internet every day, you know, <laughs> just just stupid amounts of information being thrown around. And yeah, we don't have the systems, we don't have the processes, we don't have the architecture to do that. Mm. That's that's what's happening now. Yeah, and we, we need to be able to analyze it and reduce all the data on the fly because we don't have a possible way to store yeah. it. <laughs> you need to be able to sort of figure out this bit. We keep this bit. Now throw that bit away. All of that, that entire 16 internets worth of stuff. Just get rid of that. We'll keep this bit here. It's, it is. It's, it's off the charts. And that to me is what is so fascinating about modern astronomy is that there is room for so many different kinds of people. Right. There is we really need really good astronomers, astrophysicists, people who can work out the physics of what we're looking at. We need people who can do the IT, both from the we need to manufacture chips to do the exact thing that we need to do right through to the well, I'm good at algorithms. Fantastic. We need you over here now. Now go, go, go. There are so many different roles in astronomy now that goes so far beyond your traditional astronomer. It's just not funny. Yeah. If you're interested in this stuff at all and you do basically anything, you should probably be knocking on the SKA's door at this point. It's amazing. And I love the ambition of the whole project. But, you know, that ambition does come with some downsides. So I think that it maybe hasn't progressed quite as quickly as what everybody right. wants. Right. Um, some sort of intergovernmental difficulties have been cited. <laughs> What well, a surprise. We won't, we won't go right. any further than that. Right. Uh, Fingers but, crossed it will continue to progress. Well, the good news is the first uh, contracts to start building stuff should be handed out by the end of this year. Right. So we really should be actually having bulldozers on site, hopefully by the end of 2020. Uh, and current forecasts are for a first light, first test, maybe not with all of it, but with some parts of the array in 2027. Okay, so they were that. That doesn't sound too far off track, was it? Weren't they talking early to mid twenties initially? Wasn't that the plan? Yeah, so we slipped by about a decade so far, but you know. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Not too bad. Well, you know, when you've been talking about this for a couple of decades already, <laughs> what's another decade? It's a little bit like the the um, James Webb. Space telescope, come on. Oh, don't. Oh, no. No, we don't, we don't want to blame poor James sorry, Webb. For this sorry. Sorry, James Webb. Yeah, so it, it is very exciting. Mm. And it's an exciting time to become a radio astronomer because mm. you're going to have an instrument in your future, yeah. which is going to be thousands of times more capable oh, than yeah. I mean, if, we have if, today. If you're listening to this and thinking, hmm, I wonder what I should get into in my future career as your, you know, churning your way through high school or even just starting a university degree radio astronomy has got like they're going to need a lot of people and as i said across a whole range of fields like there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen there which is a nice position to be in in astronomy because i can remember talking to a lot of astronomers over the years in decades past about look you know, there's only so much room for so many astronomers in the world like if, if universities are churning out lots of people with astronomy degrees we probably need to talk to some of those 
graduates about what they're going to do next because there's not a lot of positions coming up in universities and research centres. Whereas this is kind of, actually, no, we're going to need a lot of people. You may need to think a bit about your particular skill set, but there's going to be a lot of people needed. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's a bit of a digression on the SKA, which is just such an exciting project. And not just because, you know, so much of it is based in Australia and I'm biased. Um, but, it, you know, we need to bring this back around to the whole point of this this episode, which was, if you remember from like 10 minutes ago, huge amounts of energy creating gigantic voids in galaxy clusters far, far away. So I guess, you know, it's it's fairly standard on this show, Emily, we kind of got to bring it back around to, great, okay, beyond the headlines, what what does this do for us? What do we learn from this? So what? Okay, so astronomers sometimes get a bit of a rap for being what we call stamp collectors. Right. So that means that you just want to go out and find all the things <laughs> and put them into categories. And the, the rarer the stamp, the bigger the stamp, the more energetic and explosive the stamp, the better. But that definitely is an astronomy. I mean, yes, we might have an astronomical Guinness Book of Records, sure. if you like. And this entry is an exciting new thing yeah, to put into yeah. that. But there's a lot of physics that's going on here that's very interesting. I mean, before we even consider the interesting physics that goes on in these extreme environments near black holes, these extreme energy sources that they are. I mean, there's a kind of overall arching parts of galactic evolution and indeed evolution of the entire universe that rely on information about these kinds of events. Yeah, I guess that's right, isn't it? Because you can, there's only so many ways that you can directly investigate incredibly high energy things which you know as you say on the one hand it's well great you just found the most high energetic thing well done but the flip side is no but we we need to find these things because we need to understand what happens under those circumstances in order to understand the rest of the way the universe came into being and has evolved yeah and there's only so many ways you can do that without guessing entirely yeah, and we certainly know there's only so many ways that you can get energy out of galaxies. Yeah. Let's say. Uh, we talked about before, and we talked about how one galaxy was triggering starbursts in other galaxies. Yeah, yeah, which was very episode. cool. Yeah, so th- this is basically the only way we have of directly pumping our energy back into the intergalactic medium. So it's really important we understand this from to understand the dynamics of how galaxy clusters work and where the energy actually is. But from a cosmological perspective, if you want to understand the whole evolution of the universe, again, you've got to kind of figure out where the energy is going. Yeah, that's a big one in the evolution of the universe. It's, it's basically all about the energy, isn't it? Yeah, mass and energy and, mm. the, you know, well, the back and forth that they slosh between those two. Um, and so you, we, if we don't have a good idea of what the biggest energy dumps we have into the universe are, then our cosmologies are not going to be super accurate. Yeah, and there are only so many ways that you can do that without really focusing on, all right, so we've got to be looking at this at the scale of the biggest things that we have and we've got to be looking at the scale of the most energetic things that, that we've got because that's that's where you're going to find things of this scale. You're not going to find it in your local, you know, Milky Way neighbourhood. Oh, look, just over there, this incredibly energetic thing. It's just it's on scales almost bigger than, than we can imagine but that's where you've got to look in order to find this information. Yeah. And although these events might be super rare, these types of objects might be really, really rare in the universe. The fact that they do put out so much energy makes them significant.
Well, that's it for another episode. Uh, an episode about really big explosive things. We, I'm not sure what the progression is from here. We did sort of sun, moon, now massive, super massive black hole explosion-y type things. I don't know. Maybe we'll go with something a little bit gentler next time. What do you reckon, Emily? Something that's super exciting. Though. Yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Listen, we've got um, something coming up. Speaking of very exciting things, um, on May the 16th in Hull, there will be the first ever Northern Podcast Festival, and we're going to be there. And if you want to come and see us live, then you should be there too. You can go to northernpodcastfestival.com and find us and buy your tickets. You can buy them right now for the very, very low and quite stupidly precise price of £2.67, which is just a bit silly. But there yeah. we are. 267p's. That's right. Bargain at any at any price. So come along and see us. We'll be nattering about all sorts of very cool, spacey things at the Northern Podcast Festival. We would love to see you there. Um, otherwise, if people want to get in touch with us and say hi, Emily, how do they do that? So we are on Twitter. We are. We are at SyzygyPod, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y-P-O-D. That sounds familiar, actually. I think we have that that name on other places as well. <gasps> it's like it's a theme. Yes, indeed. Instagram. We do the occasional Instagram post. Uh, we're not on the Snapchats and the, the TikTok, but uh, Facebook you can yes, find us on. Yes. We are on Facebook. And, of course, we have a website. Beautiful Syzygy, website. FM, where you can find all our past episodes, show notes, pictures, etc. And a contact form where you can send us lots of information and just say hi. If you want to support the show, uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can do that. You can give us a review and a bunch of stars on your podcast catcher of choice. It's a really good thing to do because it helps us to rise up through the noise and helps other people find us and share in just the complete geeking out on all things cosmic and astronomical. The other thing you can do is go to patreon.com and become a patron of the show. Sling a few pounds our way to help us keep the lights on and the electrons flowing through the website um, but even if you don't do that just continue listening because we'll be back again in a week or so's time with some more cosmic goodness until then catch you later Emily see you later bye everybody bye